Well, good morning. Good morning. So good to see you this morning. So glad you are here. Uh, you made it. Daylight savings. You have arrived. All is well. Uh, like Alex said, definitely a double coffee kind of morning. Well, uh, we are beginning our new series called Passion Today. I want to welcome you. My name is uh, Pastor Chris. I'm the campus pastor here at Milestone McKinney. And as Alex said, we are one church, multiple locations. We have our main campus in Keller uh, with our lead pastor, Pastor Jeff, our Hazlitt campus. And then you're here with us right here in McKinney. And we are thrilled that you are joining us. Well, as we take the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at some specific moments in the life of Jesus. We're going to look at how he uh, really dialed into and handled and engaged in some specific moments leading up to Easter. And uh, for centuries, uh, for years, Christians have been preparing for Easter and moving towards Easter and starting to think through that as we enter into this season. In fact, the season we're in right now uh, is a season called Lent. Lent is a 40-day period. Actually, in Latin, means spring, and it, it, it symbolizes a, a moment and a time of reflection, reflecting on God and preparing for what Easter represents in the death the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles, John chapter 12. We're going to get there in just a minute. And uh, we're going to look at some specific things that Jesus did and what we can learn from his life about how to live with passion and with purpose. Um, I love the word passion. Uh, if you've been around me any amount of time, I get real passionate about things. I get, I, and, and we all get passionate about stuff. Let's be honest. Now, we express passion differently, okay? But we get passionate. We're all passionate about different things. Some of you, you're passionate about coffee. Some of you, you're foodies. You're passionate about food. And before you eat, you know, they bring out the food. Hold on, time out. You take out your phone. Got to make, if, it, if it's not on Instagram, it didn't happen, okay? It's like you take a picture. Yeah? You're passionate about, uh, some of you, I've seen your, your yards. You're into your yard. You're into flowers. You're into gardening, you know. Now in the back end of Snowmageddon, you don't know what to do because things just literally died. Everything is brown. I don't feel as bad because everyone's yard is brown, not just my yard now. Okay, you're passionate about vacations. You're already thinking about June, July, and August, and the vacation you planned back in December, right? We get passionate about all sorts of things, and I get passionate about stuff. Now, as I've gotten older, I have to be careful about what I get passionate about because when I get passionate about things, I go all in. I'm like all or nothing. It's all or nothing. And and people will ask me to be a part of things, but as I've gotten older, the things they ask me to be a part of tend to be a little more expensive. And I know that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go, I may not be good at whatever it is, but I'm going to make sure I got all the stuff to do whatever it is that we're doing, okay? And so I just get, I get passionate. And really that began, I, I think it really began back in, in high school is when I really started noticing it. And... Uh, Played sports in high school, and in my sophomore year, uh, they would make us run track in off-season football. Well, I didn't want to run any more than I already had to for off-season football. I wasn't really looking forward to running, so I decided to pole vault. I thought, well, that would be a good idea. Let's run down with this long stick. We're going to put it in a hole in the ground, we're going to fly over this bar and land on mat. Seemed like fun to me. Why not? I mean, what's the worst that could happen? You hurt yourself, you die, I don't know, you know, let's do that. Well, my, my pole vaulting coach was also our powerlifting coach. And so he came to me one day my sophomore year. He said, Lerma, 
you need to be on the powerlifting team. I want you on the powerlifting team. I said, as you should. Why would you not? All 115 pounds of me in all my glory. See, now the thing was, is inside, I thought I was about six foot four, 250 pounds. I was an elite NFL, like, you know, DN rushing machine. But I wasn't. I was about five foot three and 115 pounds, maybe 135 with all my pads on. But man, I had heart, I had passion. So, okay, powerlifting, why not? Well, I started going, all right. We're going to get into powerlifting. I don't know much about powerlifting. You usually lift weights. All right, let's do this, all right? So I started noticing you have to wear this uniform, okay? When you powerlift, and it's similar to when you're, when you're wrestling, it's called a singlet. So I said, okay, I'm going to get a singlet. It's basically just a male version, I guess, of a leotard. I don't know, you know? It's like you put this thing on, and it's like skin tight and spin. That makes you look real buff. And, you know, the only problem is I was real small, so even the small was a little baggy on me. I was like, I'm not sure what's happening. Is this supposed to fit like this? I think it's supposed to be tighter. Do they make kids' versions? I mean, I'm, I'm 15, but, I mean, I need something a little smaller. I mean, you know, i got to be intimidating. And so I remember going to my first powerlifting meet. And it was in Bastrop, Texas. And we get there, and, and I don't know if some of the lights, if they did it for effect, or some of the lights were just out, we're in this older gym, and like it felt like a dungeon, you know? And so I go back into the locker room, and I'm in my singlet. And again, I'm, I'm an itty-bitty little guy. I mean, I'll just be honest. I'm a late bloomer, okay? I'm just small, and I go in there, and I kid you not, I'm like, who are these full-on grown men in here? These guys are like 16, 17. They got full-on beards like some of you guys. I'm like, are you 35? Like, what is happening? Like, I thought this was like the, you know, I thought we were all in high school. I mean, like, what is happening? My voice may have still been cracking. And, and I go in there, and these guys are just big, burly guys, man. And, and they're doing something with this. They have a, have a jar of, you remember the honey? They may still have it. The honey that comes, like, shaped like a bear. So they're like, they have these bottles of, of, of honey. And they're just like, I mean, they're just, they're just downing it. I'm like, well, what are they doing? They're like, they're getting on a sugar high. They're like slapping each other. And I'm like, yeah, let's do all of that. Give me, give me that, honey. We're going all in. I'm all about it. I'm passionate. So we have the meat. I do my lifts. If you know anything about powerlifting, you know, it's three lifts. It's, it's squat, it's deadlift, and bench press. And so we get... Did all my lists. I felt real powerful. I, you know, I did my list. You know, you get three chances at every weight that you do. And, and so I did it. I hit, my, I hit my lifts, all that stuff. I'm feeling powerful about myself. We get to, they start, they go through weight divisions. I actually wasn't big enough to be in the weight division I was in. It was like 135. I don't, I don't think I weighed 135. But, hey, I was in it. And so they go, they go through all, they do all the big boys first, you know. They do all those guys. And they get to our weight division. First place, I think it was a guy from Bastrop, you know, in the 135 division with a total of 745 pounds, so-and-so, they say his name. And he gets second place with a combined total weight of 635 pounds, they say his name. Third place. From Bowie High School in Austin, Texas, Chris Lerman with a combined total weight of 315 pounds. <laughs> third place right here, your pastor is the third place district champ. What my coach didn't tell me is there's only three guys in my weight division. I placed third. 
third in every meet I was at. <laughs> the guy in second place had twice as much weight as I did, but it didn't matter. I was in third place getting points for the team. You see, when you're passionate about things, you just want to be a part of something bigger. That's, that's what we want. We all want to be a part of something bigger. We all want to, we all want to experience those moments. You, you, you really don't care if there's only three people in the, in the weight division. You're like, man, I'm a part. I'm making a difference. I'm making an impact. And so some of us, as we think about passion, what I want to do is I want to look at Jesus' life and how we can live a passionate life like Jesus did. But before we get there, I want to I really unpack what does it look like to actually live with passion and really actually hopefully set into context for you what passion is and maybe a little bit even to help clarify what passion isn't. You see, oftentimes people say, well, if I find my passion, I'll find my purpose. It's out there like it's some mysterious thing out there that we have to find. And I've got to look for passion here and look for it there. And, and when I find it, I'll find fulfillment. But the problem is that is passion is not something elusive that's out there that you have to try and discover and find. Passion is actually inside of you. You see, you were created with a divine passion it's your design. It's how God made you. A design, a design with a divine passion that has an eternal purpose. There's a divine passion that God wants to place inside of you. But I want to help you understand that passion is not just simply the things that you like and that you enjoy. It's not just the things that seem fun to you. You see, we live in a day and age where it's like, well, passion, I'm just going to do what I'm passionate about, what I really like, what I really enjoy, what gives me fulfillment. The problem is if, if that's the limit to what you view as passion, then you'll either, one, think that you'll experience a fulfillment once you discover it, which isn't reality, or two, you're faced with feeling as though you're never going to arrive. What if I never find what I'm passionate about? What if I never get there? What if I never discover those things? Because I'm not in the right city. I'm not in the right town. I'm not in the right profession. I'm not with the right relationships. You see, all of that is external. The passion that God has given you is internal. It starts from the inside. So, so how do we discover that? What do we look at? And, and what do we notice from Jesus' life? Well, the first thing is this. You know, when you look at the life of Jesus, this, this time that we're going to look at in this series over the next three weeks, as you look at this time frame of Jesus going to the cross. In fact, this final week of Jesus' life is called Holy Week. It's also called Passion Week. Well, the word passion is Latin. That Latin word, paseo, means to suffer. To suffer. So passion is not just simply the things you're excited and exuberant about. It's not just the things that you like. It actually means to suffer. The, the passion of the Christ. What was it that he suffered for? You see, there was a, a purpose that he had. He was dialed into this purpose, and, and that purpose was actually you and me. It was us walking in, in freedom and in wholeness. It was us understanding what it looks like. And, and, and again, passion is not simply doing the things that you like. It's suffering for the things that you love. It's not just simply I'm going to do the things that I like. I'm going to suffer, sacrifice for the things that I love. And Jesus modeled that for us. 
In fact, as you look in the Gospels, so much in the Gospels is centered around this particular week. The book of John, where we're going to read in John chapter 12 in just a minute. The book of John, actually half of that book is about this particular week. Now, I want to give you kind of an overview of what Passion Week looks like. It's not all exhaustive. It doesn't have every little detail. I just want to set it up for you and when it begins. And, and, and it starts on Sunday. Sunday is the triumphal entry. It's where Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. And, and oftentimes, Jesus was so fixed and focused on the purpose and the mission that God the Father had laid out for him. There were times where as he was going towards Jerusalem, people would stop him. Come and teach over here. Can you come and heal over here? And he would say, I am on my way to Jerusalem. In fact, one gospel writer says that his face was turned flint towards Jerusalem. He was focused on it. And then we look at Monday. Monday was a time where he's cleansing the temple and he curses the fig tree. Some of you know the story where he comes in and he turns over the tables of the money changers and, and the cursing of the fig tree was symbolic of a fig tree that had not bear, it hadn't bore any fruit and it was symbolic of Israel having not received Jesus and understanding him as the Messiah. And we go to Tuesday. Tuesday he's teaching in the temple but the other portion of his time is also found on, the, on Mount Olive where he gives the, the Olivet Discourse and where much of what we learn and the things that he teaches about the second coming and, and what he's going to do, the purpose, the, really the end times, if you would say, the end time purpose that he has, he teaches on that day. And then Wednesday, we see on Wednesday, Mary anoints Jesus. It's a moment of honor and, and preparation. Now Thursday is when many of us kind of really kind of focus in and dial in to Passion Week. And, and that's where we kind of, we kind of look and gauge and, and we kind of understand. Thursday is when he's having Passover meal with the disciples. He goes, he's praying in the garden. It's also when he's betrayed by Judas and, and he's arrested. And it goes from there. Then Friday, Good Friday, it's the, the, the trial, the crucifixion and the burial. On Saturday, he's ceremonially anointed for burial at 6 p.m. Once Sabbath, the Sabbath was on Saturday. Once it was over, at 6 p.m., they went in and they anointed his body for burial. And then Sunday is the resurrection. And it, it says that he appears five different times to people after he rose again. And so what we're going to look at is we're going to look at Wednesday and Thursday in the text that I'm going to show you in John, and then we're going to look at Matthew 26 in just a minute. But I want us to understand what Jesus is doing here in John chapter 12. We actually read a portion of this scripture last week as we were ending and wrapping up our series called Seeds, if you were with us. And Jesus is essentially, it's like as if he's giving his eulogy, and he's talking about uh, the preparation of where he's going, and, and he's, he's saying, this is what my life has been like, this is what it will be like, and this is where we're going. And we pick up in John chapter 12, verse 23, and it says this. It says, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, it's unique that when he replies to them and answers them that he says this, because there were oftentimes where things were happening, and he was teaching, and he would actually at times when he healed people would say, hey, don't go say anything because my hour has not yet come. You see, he had a purpose. He had a plan. There was something that he was moving towards, and so there were many times up to this point he'd say, wait, wait, now's not the hour. It's not time yet. But now what is he saying? He's saying the hour has come. The hour has come. 
Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but it died. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. We learned last week that is representative of him dying on the cross for our sins, that the fruit that will last, the fruit that remains is what he does for us on the cross, what he does in our life. But it, all, it also ties to how we live our life. That, that we can live a life that, that there is a legacy to what we live based on the seeds that we plant today. And that there can be fruit that remains. And so because of what Jesus did on the cross and dying for you and me, the fruit that remains is our life. We are able to walk in the freedom and the wholeness of what he did on the cross for you and me. Verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Now, I love in this text how Jesus shows his humanity. He says, look, I'm troubled. This is hard. This isn't easy. What I'm about to go and endure is not something that I'm looking forward to. But nevertheless, the hour has come. Why? Because there's a purpose. You see, there is purpose in passion. When you understand that you have a divine passion that God gave you, you understand that it's for an eternal purpose. You recognize those things and you see that. That's what Jesus is saying. This isn't easy. See, the things that you're walking through in life, the decisions you have to make, the choices that you're making, the things that you're walking through, the challenging conversations you have with your children, the conversations you have with your spouse as you work through things and you resolve conflict in a healthy way, the way you lead in business and you develop your teams, all of the things as a young person, the way you honor and obey your parents, the way you walk in purpose even in middle school and in high school and in your college and young adult years, you walk with purpose. Why? It's not easy, it's troubling, it's hard, it may not even be fun. But you're doing it because you understand there's an eternal purpose. You see, here's what you begin to recognize. Jesus shows us that passion isn't always loud, but it is always obvious when it's fueled by purpose. Passion isn't always loud. You've heard me say it before. I mean, I can get real loud and excited and dialed up about things, but passion is not always loud. But it is always obvious when it's fueled by purpose. You see, it's that, it's that passion that keeps you dialed in and focused. It's that passion when you understand an eternal purpose that God has given you that keeps you focused on. That's what Jesus was saying when he's going to Jerusalem to ultimately die on the cross for my sins and for your sins. All these external things that were good things. Come, you've healed people before. Can you come heal them again? Hey, you've spoken and preached before. Can you come and speak again? Teach us, Rabbi. No, no, no. I'm on my way to Jerusalem. You see, there's a purpose. Why? Because what I focus on, I fixate over. What I fixate over, I move towards. That's what Jesus was doing. But he also says it's not easy. 
So when it gets troubling and it's hard, purpose and your passion will keep you on point. This wasn't the last time that Jesus would show and express these feelings. When we look at the words of Matthew and he's looking at Jesus in the garden. Now we fast forward. That was on Wednesday. Now we're on Thursday. He's had Passover meal with the disciples. And now he goes to the garden just before the soldiers come and arrest him. Matthew chapter 26 Verse 26, it says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible... Let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Here he is now, still in a moment. If there's another way, Father, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Not my will, your will. I want what you want, God. I want what you have. I'm going to suffer for what I love. I'm going to suffer for purpose. I'm going to be passionate about things because there is a divine passion inside of all of us that comes along with a divine and eternal purpose. You see, passion is not a momentary act. It's a way of life. It's how he designed us. It, we can love God with all of our passion. I love as, as Mark is, is uh, writing and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. When you read that, In Mark 12, verse 20, when you read actually the message translation, it says, love the Lord with all your passion, with everything inside of you. We get so passionate about so many things. I do. I get all excited. I get, I get, it's sports, or if it's something I'm going to do, or it's a hobby. I love all those things, but they all pale in comparison to Jesus. We get passionate about all sorts of things. We can live with passion and with purpose. We can live with enthusiasm. I love the word enthusiasm. It it ties to passion. Because you hear the word passion and you hear the word enthusiasm and you go, well, maybe that's for a select group of people. Maybe that's for people like Pastor Chris. I mean, he's kind of like, you know, he had a double shot of coffee. I can tell. He's up there all excited, you know. Too much energy, okay? Go, Go get it. That guy's passionate. Awesome. Maybe it's, maybe it's for athletes or singers or musicians or, or people with a specific skill set. Maybe that is just, passion is not limited to a certain group of people or a certain personality. Enthusiasm is not limited to a certain range of people in a way in which you express. It's not just for extroverts. That word enthusiasm comes from the Greek word entheus which comes from two Latin words, an and theos, which an means within, theos, God, with God. What that means, enthusiasm actually means with God. God within me. To live an enthusiastic life is to actually understand and recognize it's God within me. 
We as Christians should be the most enthusiastic, passionate people there are. Not because you're loud and you're exuberant, but because you live a purposeful, passionate life, recognizing I have a divine passion that can be lived out because of an eternal purpose. It changes what you focus on. So how do we do that? How do we live that way? How do we live a life, a passionate life, like Jesus? Because it can be done. What what do we learn about Jesus and what he did and what he said during Passion Week? Well, Well, here's the first thing I think that we learn is that we recognize and we understand that passion begins with suffering. Okay, well, you're going, all right, well, I mean, I'm really encouraged today. Thank you. Suffering. That's what passion means, to suffer. But you only suffer and sacrifice for what you love. You already do it. You're working hours longer than you want sometimes because you're sacrificing and suffering. Because you're preparing for, you know, if you're like me, three girls, you got three weddings, okay? You got kids you're putting in college. You got things that you're wanting to do and accomplish. Maybe you're saving for the future, whatever it may be. You suffer and sacrifice for what you love. Even as I was thinking about, even in between services, thinking about what does that look like? You see, Jesus modeled that. He led the way in suffering. But here's what's amazing is that even in our suffering and the things that we sacrifice for, we don't have to do it alone. He is with you and he is for you. He's with you and for you. That the suffering you experience, the things that you you walk through, that's what he's talking about In John chapter 12, verse 24, when you go back and look, he's saying, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it does not bear fruit. You see, there's a dying to self. When you look through the Gospels, Jesus made it very plain, very clear. He said, count the cost. He said, carry the cross. He said, die to self. Well, okay, Chris, are you telling me like I just can't enjoy like things? Like I I like going on vacation. I like my coffee. I like my food. I like my stuff. No, do all your things. Have your stuff. The challenge though is when we don't recognize what we're really focused on, those things begin to have us. God's not worried about you having stuff. He's worried about stuff having you. You see, that's called idolatry. And when you look at the words of God and what he commands to his people over and over and over, that's what he's always dialing into. Because when you hear the word idol, you probably think of a little figure made out of wood or stone or clay. That's not what an idol is. An idol is anything other than God the Father that has your heart, your attention, and your affection. You see, suffering, by definition, is fueled and motivated out of pain, but suffering out of principle is motivated out of affection. What's your affection on? I only suffer and sacrifice for that which I love. I only suffer and sacrifice for that which I love. So we have to recognize, or or we have to understand that it begins with suffering, but then we have to recognize that passion brings surrender. Surrender. That's what Jesus modeled in the garden, Matthew 26. Not my will, but thy will be done. Surrender isn't really fun. It's not real easy because we don't like surrender. We like control. You like control. You do. I do too. We like to be in control. We all got measures of control. I'm just being, can you pastor be transparent? I got real bad control. If I'm ever with you and we're like, you know, we're going to drive somewhere, I have no problem asking you 
if we're driving in your vehicle, if I can drive, because I have control issues. I like to be behind the wheel. So, like, hey, we can go together. You, all right, you want me to drive or you want to drive? Okay, you're going to drive? Awesome. Can I drive your vehicle? I promise you not. Pastor JP, our executive pastor, who, I mean, essentially would be my boss, we were making a trip before we lived here. We were driving up here. I kid you not. JP, can I drive? He let me drive. I asked him. I was like, can I drive up here? I just, I got pride. Just pray for your pastor. I got control issues. Surrender is hard. We don't like surrender. But what Jesus modeled for us and what it actually looks like to have a relationship with the Father is surrender. We surrender. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Oh, let me put it in kind of maybe a plain definition for you to surrender and, and what that looks like. Before I do, I want to read for you the words of Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, the tension that we have to wrestle is not making our goal, our career, our preferences and our likes the end result. It's really surrender. Does it mean you don't have goals? Does it mean you won't have a career? Does it mean you shouldn't want to advance in your profession? No, you should want to do all those things, and you should. I believe as believers, we should be the best uh, bosses, employees, leaders. I mean, people should, I mean, you don't got to go to Indeed. They should just come to the church because the best employees are sitting in here. Because you understand that what you're doing, you're doing is under the Lord. Whatever profession you're in, that's a whole other message right there. I'm just telling you what begins to happen is, okay, I'm not living just for me. So what does surrender look like? Here's what I've discovered through life. Surrender is saying, God, I want to see things the way you see things. I'm surrendering my point of view. I want to see it the way you see it. I want to see my marriage the way you see it. I want to see how I should be serving my spouse the way you see it. I want to see how I should engage in conversation and have healthy conflict with my spouse the way you see it. I want to see how I should raise and, and, and interact and, and, and parent and steward my children. I want to see where my parents are coming from and stop trying to think they're trying to lock me up and keep me from having fun. I want to see it, God, the way you see it. So even as a teenager, you can have that perspective. As a young person, God, I want to see my, my season of being single the way you see it. God, I want to see the business you've entrusted to me, the employees you've entrusted to me, the team that I'm a part of, the way I lead within the business that maybe I don't own but I'm a part of. I want to see it the way you see it. Where does that come from? Surrender. You can be passionate because you understand that once you have embraced that passion, you recognize that it puts you in a position to surrender. Surrender. And Jesus modeled that for us. He did it multiple times. I, I, he did it really first and foremost when he came as a baby. Not as some conquering king. He surrendered his position at the right hand of the father and came as an infant. Lived 30 years before he started his three years of ministry. Three years of ministry and then ultimately to go and die on the cross for you and for me. Surrender is what he modeled that whole time. And then... If you're going to live passionately the way Jesus did, we have to embrace the fact that passion produces service. Passion produces service. You know, when you think back on, on John chapter 12, verse 25, 
And you think about surrender. Jesus was saying, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And then verse 26, he goes right into this. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me and where I am. And there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. We read, as you continue to read in that text that we read, you get to verse 28, and what did he say? He said, for this purpose, I have come to this hour. See, Jesus lived on purpose, with purpose. He modeled for us divine passion and eternal purpose. He had a mission. The Bible says he came to seek and to save the lost. You see, when we live passionately and we understand what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me, it causes us to be focused and fixated on him and his mission. But I'll be honest, there's times in my life I'm real dialed into my mission. What what I got to get tackled, what my projects are, the things that I want to get done. Again, it's not to say any of those things are bad. But the question is, are we able to see the mission that he's put before us? Are we able to recognize that he's called us into service? Because when I'm passionate, it enables me to serve. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not talking about, oh, this is a serve day plug and you just must be trying to gather volunteers. No, 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 no. This is a life that you live. Remember, passion is a lifestyle. It's not a moment. Passion is a way in which you you look and you're looking for opportunities to serve everywhere you go. Every time you go into that Starbucks line or or every time you're you're at a gas station or a store, every time you go to work. So I'm not just uh, centralizing it around, oh, yeah, yeah, get on uh, a serve team and be a part of the serve team. Oh, yeah, yeah, sign up for serve day. Yeah, do all those things. That's well and good. I'm talking about you living it out because you know where you live the majority of your life? Not here. Not here. And when you're on mission and you understand that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and what he did on the cross is for us to walk in freedom and then for us to be able to share that freedom with other people, then we can't help but live a life of service Everywhere we go. But can I tell you why we miss it? Same reason I miss it. Lack of margin. Margin will kill your ability to see how God wants you to live passionately every single day. You see, margin is the difference between your load and your limit. And we live so overloaded beyond our limits. We don't have enough margin to live a life of suffering and sacrifice. To live a life of surrender. Or to live a life of service. But Jesus is saying, when you look at Holy Week, here's what passion is. To live this way. I love what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm actually read it out of the message translation. And it says this. Our firm decision is to work from this focused center. Work from this focused center. One man died for everyone, and that puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. A resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. You see, when we we don't have margin and when we don't live passionate, everything just kind of runs together. Have you ever been in that season? I've been in that season. 
Seems like I'm running from here to there. Seems like everything's a blur. And I don't know what to be when. I'm just trying to keep my head above water and breathe. But when you stop a minute, wait, wait, wait. There's a life. There's a better life that God has in store for us. There's a passionate life that we can live. There's a surrendered life that we can live. There's a life of service that we can live. And when we do that, we're able to live on mission. On mission. There's moments in the season of a church where we say, hey, you know, we're going we're gonna to rally behind. And we have these moments where we're going to really push towards these, these emphasis moments, if you would. Well, Easter is one of them. Christmas is probably another one that you would recognize. You see, what if we weren't so passionate about just simply Easter as a day or an event? Or Easter, even passionate about Easter and, and stopping and recognizing genuinely what Jesus did for us on the cross? But what if we were also passionate about his mission? And we use that moment to reach people. That they may experience the same freedom that you've experienced. That they may experience the same life change that you experienced. That they may have the opportunity for their marriage, their children, their children's children, generations to be transformed for all eternity. What if we stopped and said, God, I want to live with that divine purpose that you've given me so that I can have and walk out that eternal purpose. It's a passion, divine passion, eternal purpose. So Easter's coming. We're going to take the next three weeks to look at that. But the other thing is we want to make it real easy for you. We try to make it real easy. And so on your way out, there's invite cards. It's not promo cards. We're not looking for marketing or more sales. It's invitations. Because people aren't going to come because they get a mailer. Necessarily, they may. That's not the sole reason. They're not going to come necessarily because they see a yard sign, but they may. They're going to come because someone invited them. So I'm going to encourage you. Let's live on mission over the next three weeks. Inviting people that we know and that we love to join us for Easter. And you may go, well, I've invited tons of times. They never come. They always tell me they're coming. They're never going to show up. They never show up. Okay, well, keep inviting. This may be the one time. You may go, well, Pastor Chris, I'm just not outgoing. I'm not real. You know, I'm not an extrovert. I'm not. We made it real easy for you. Get a yard sign. Just put it in your yard. It'll be like, I invited the whole neighborhood. I didn't say a thing, you know. You did. Everyone who drove by, you know, be like, I invited all of Virginia. You know, I just live off of Virginia. The whole, everyone driving by. You're powerful, you know. We make it real easy for you. Why? Because we just want this place full of people for Easter. Only if it means that we're robbing hell to populate heaven. Because people without Jesus... Heaven and hell are very real places and people really go there. We have an opportunity to live passionately. To live a life.
of suffering and sacrifice, a life of surrender, and a life of service.